0: TBN Pinellas Park, W262 CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in new portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast
1: at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. <laughs>
0: Someday, God will put a stop to man's defiance, and in that day, in that day, when that happens, that's the day that Jesus said we're to pray for, that day. In other words, to pray for God's kingdom to come to earth is to pray, watch this, for the return of Jesus Christ, because when Messiah returns, the Bible teaches that he returns to establish his kingdom On earth, In the sense that he will reign presently on the earth with an absolute rule and authority over everyone on this planet.
1: There seems to be plenty of confusion about what is meant by the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Steve's lessons over the next few days should help to give us a clearer picture of what is meant by those terms as we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse... Pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor, and we're beginning a three-part lesson dealing with this one part of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come. It's part of a series of messages dealing with this great guide that Jesus gave us to help us pray. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, for over 25 years. That ministry has expanded to include verse-by-verse ministries. I'll tell you more later in the program about how you can learn more about this ministry. But we should settle down for the class now. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10.
0: Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the Lord's Prayer. And we have arrived at verse 10. In which Jesus said these words, we are to pray then in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We find ourselves, as we look at this verse, not studying one petition, but actually two petitions, the second and third. These petitions actually go together. They complement each other. They clarify each other. And though these words are extremely well known, having been repeated thousands of times a week in various church services, it has been suggested that the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is the most abused petition found in the Lord's Prayer. Because though prayed with regularity, it is seldom prayed with an understanding that leads to God's will being done on earth Like it is in heaven. And those who pray these words frequently without understanding what they're saying are guilty of the very mindless repetition that Jesus said not to pray, not to pray like that. He forbid praying like that just a few verses before this. When you pray, he said, don't pray like the the Gentiles, like the pagans with mindless repetition. Just empty words incantations, that type of stuff. In fact, Martin Luther, the reformer, was so concerned about the seriousness of, of praying these words without really understanding their meaning that he referred to this petition, this third petition, as a fearful prayer. And one contemporary Bible teacher said of this particular petition, if some people really realized what they were praying, their words would stick in their throats. So, so we want to take this seriously. We want to understand what this prayer means as well as we want to mean what we say in our prayers to the Lord. And so it's critical that we, that we have a grasp on what, on what exactly and precisely these two petitions are about. And in order to do that, we need to remind ourselves where we have come in our study of the Lord's Prayer, where we are in, in this prayer because there appears to be a very natural progression and a sequence of thought to the various petitions given by Jesus they're not randomly thrown together one flows into another there seems to be a logical order of unfolding truth in these various petitions for example the first petition is hallowed be your name now we looked at this last week and we discovered that that this is the foundation The foundational prayer, this is what ought to dominate our praying, that God himself would be treated as the hallowed one, as the holy one, as the righteous one. He would be honored. He would be respected. He would be uh, responded to with adoration and praise and reverence. Therefore, each of us should be so concerned for God to be honored that not only should we be praying for people to hallow his name, both for believers to obey him and for unbelievers to repent and start giving him glory. But it should be the number one priority of our prayers. This should be why we pray. This should be what what dominates our praying. This is why this comes in the first of all the petitions. This ought to be, this sets the tone for everything else. And this ought to be the, the emphasis in our praying that God may be glorified by his creatures. God may be honored. And so this first petition indicates that, that true disciples will have a consuming concern for the person of God. They will be concerned for God's person to be honored. And so we passionately pray for people, including ourselves, to change, to make those changes so that his name will be hallowed. However, in longing to see God be honored by everyone, we also have to be realistic. And reality reveals that most people don't hallow God's name, do they? They're not interested. They're not interested. In fact, they hate him. They don't hallow anything about him. And and why? Why don't they hallow his name? Why doesn't everyone humble themselves before our great God, this precious father whom we've come to know as our Abba, our heavenly Papa, whom we've come to love and worship and adore and, and would give everything for him? Why aren't others interested in him? In other words, why don't all men follow Christ as king and become a part of his kingdom? And the answer, as Martin Lloyd Jones so capably points out in his commentary in the Sermon on the Mount, is because there is another kingdom of this world. There's another kingdom which men and women are a part of. It's the kingdom of Satan, the domain of, of darkness. Lloyd Jones writes this. At once, the question arises, Why is not every man on this earth concerned about humbling himself now in the presence of God and worshiping him and using every moment and adoring him and spearheading forth his name? Why not? The answer, of course, is because of sin, because there's another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. There There is another who is the God of this world. There is a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of evil, and it is opposed to God and his glory and honor. See, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that at this present time, God has allowed Satan to become the ruler of this world. Certainly, he operates only under the authority God gives him. God is still sovereign, but Satan is allowed to to rule as the God of this age. He reigns over, therefore, the hearts of men and women, unsaved people, without most of them even being conscious of his reality. I think if you would ask most people, do they believe in a personal... Uh, Satan, they would say no. In fact, most people, at least in our culture, don't even believe in personal evil. They don't believe in evil at all. And so they're not even aware of this. And yet the Bible says this is reality. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. And when Jesus was tempted, Satan offered him all the kingdoms and and glory of this world. And Jesus never refuted that. He didn't say you don't have the authority to give those to me. He did have the authority to offer them to Christ. The Apostle Paul referred to the devil as the God of this age in Second Corinthians four four. The Apostle John said that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one, First John five nineteen. And it's in light of the fact that there is another King and there is. Another kingdom presently ruling over the hearts of men that Jesus tells us that when we pray as, as his followers, we should be praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now watch this. Here's where it fits together. If the first petition of the Lord's prayer expresses our concern for God's name to be hallowed, then this second petition expresses the way that this will be accomplished. It will ultimately be accomplished by the coming of God's kingdom and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray this way. But in order to pray along these lines, we need to first understand exactly what Jesus meant by these two petitions. And then what we do, and we've said this a number of times, but let me say it again. We don't pray these words verbatim. That's not the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. As I have told you before if you did that your prayer life would consist of about 10 seconds a day. We are to learn the principles behind these words then we take these principles we incorporate them into our prayers fitting uh, using our own words fitting them into our own unique set of circumstances. These are simply guidelines. These are these are simply timeless eternal principles that we're to learn from and we we get the core truths and we incorporate them into our prayer life. And I think the best way to unwrap the meaning of these two petitions is by asking a series of questions that will lead us to the truth of the correct interpretation. So we want to ask three questions this morning. And I think that will unwrap the truth. First of all, the first question we want to ask is, what does the Bible mean by the term kingdom? I, I'm afraid when uh, Americans hear the term kingdom, we think of Disney and the Magic Kingdom. I mean, that's that's where we're at. What is wh- What does the Bible mean by kingdom? Jesus said that we should be praying for God's kingdom to come. But we have to know what that term kingdom means before we can pray for it to come, right? And so what, did, what does Jesus mean by kingdom? Well, the Greek word that is translated kingdom basically means sovereign rule or reign. It is not so much concerned with the geographic location of the kingdom, where the king reigns, but the fact that he, he does reign with sovereignty and rulership. That's the essential thought. As I said, it's not so much the territory over which he reigns, as much as it as it refers to his sovereignty in reigning, his rulership in reigning, the fact that he is a king. And so when Jesus said that we are to pray for the kingdom of God to come, he meant that we are to ask God to let his sovereign rule and his sovereign dominion come into existence. But how and where is it to exist? I want us to take a step back. Take a step back and consider what does the Bible say about the kingdom of God? Uh, Matthew uses that term only. He says that the king. He he puts it in this way: the kingdom of heaven. Probably out out of being sensitive to his Jewish readers, he uses the term heaven as opposed to to God, lest anyone would be would misunderstand that. But what uh, what does the Bible mean by the term kingdom? First of all, the Bible teaches that God already rules the universe. You need to understand that God already rules. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 93, Psalm 93 verses 1 and 2 say this, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. God and his kingdom are reigning right now.
1: Let's take a short break to introduce ourselves to those of you who joined us after the class began. Pastor Steve will be right back to continue this explanation of the kingdom. You have been listening to Verse by Verse. It's a radio Bible class led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff, Pastor of the Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you missed the start of the class and would like to go back and catch it, you can do that at our website versebyverseradio.org You can listen online or subscribe to our free podcasting service. That's versebyverseradio.org Now let's return to class. Pastor Steve has a couple more verses which make it clear that God is already the sovereign king of the universe. And then we will see how that should affect how we pray.
0: Great statement found in Chronicles. Chronicles 29. Let me read this to you. First Chronicles 29. What majestic words. Listen to this. Verses 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, this is David's prayer to God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. Yours is the dominion O Lord and you exalt yourself as head over all both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all and in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone In Daniel Daniel chapter 4 King Nebuchadnezzar who was at that at that time the earthly sovereign ruler ruling over the Babylonian kingdom, came to his senses one day. God had given him an illness. He came He came through that. God lifted it, came to his senses. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel chapter 4, beginning of verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes to heaven, And my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? God and his kingdom already reigns so according to to these scriptures and many more there are many more god is king his and his kingdom already encompasses the entire universe he encompasses it in the sense that he rules over everything and every one and though people most people are ignorant of his rule and authority in their lives nonetheless he still reigns As one theologian has put it, there is recognized in Scripture a natural and universal kingdom or dominion of God embracing all objects, persons, and events, all doings of individuals and nations, all operations and changes of nature and history, absolutely without exception. Now, follow this. Since this aspect of God's kingdom already is a present reality, Then we don't need to pray for it. We don't need to pray for it to come into existence because it already exists. Jesus couldn't mean pray for, for this kingdom to come into existence because when he said these words, it already existed. It's always existed. Since God has no beginning, he is the great I am. He's always been the king of the universe. His kingdom is eternal. It's everlasting. So in light of this, we know Jesus couldn't have been telling us in in this prayer to pray for this universal, eternal feature of his kingdom to come into existence. It has always existed. And that leads us then to a second question we need to ask if we're to understand how we should pray as the Lord wants us to. First question, what does the Bible mean by the term kingdom? simply means God's sovereign rule over all things. The second question then is this. If God's universal kingdom has always existed, and it has, then why pray for his kingdom to come? Why should we pray for it? The answer to that question is this, that when Jesus said that we are to pray for God's kingdom to come, he meant that we are to pray that his eternal kingdom, which is already established in heaven, that it comes to earth. It comes to earth. See, though God sovereignly rules the heavens, and everything in the heavens, there is a sense in which that same type of rule right now on earth is not exerted by the Lord. He does not rule the earth like he does heaven. And it's obvious. It's obvious that God allows men, men a certain sense of freedom in defying and, and rebelling him, uh, rebelling against him and defying him. Otherwise, there would be no sense in praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it already exists like that, why pray for that to take place? It doesn't take place. God allows men a certain sense of freedom in defying him, in rebelling against him. But someday, that'll change. Someday, God will put a stop to man's defiance. And in that day, in that day, when that happens, that's the day that Jesus said we're to pray for. That day, in other words, to pray for God's kingdom to come to earth is to pray, watch this, for the return of Jesus Christ. Because when Messiah returns, the Bible teaches that he returns to establish his kingdom on earth in the sense that he will reign presently on the earth with an absolute rule and authority over everyone on this planet. Now we know that this is precisely what Jesus was referring to because in this statement, this prayer to pray thy kingdom come, that, that verb come in the original Greek language refers to a sudden Instantaneous, decisive event. It's not a gradual, progressive arrival, as some theologians teach. Well, the kingdom will will come here in stages. No, no, it's not. That's not the word that's used here. It's not what the Bible teaches. This kingdom will come swiftly. It'll come decisively to earth when Jesus returns at the end of what's known as the seven year tribulation period. Matthew twenty four twenty seven speaks of his swift coming. It says, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the son of man be. It'll be quick. It'll be instantaneous. And when the king arrives, he will usher in his absolute kingdom rule over the citizens of this earth. In Daniel, and I'll, I'll refer to Daniel a number of times This morning, because it's so prophetic. But in Daniel chapter seven, we read these words. This is the, this is a vision given to the prophet Daniel. He says in verse 13 of chapter seven, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. That son of man, one like a son of man is the son of man. It's Jesus. And he came up to the ancients of days. The ancients of days would refer to God the Father and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language men uh, might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is commonly referred to as the messianic kingdom. Messianic kingdom, because it's a time when, when Messiah will not only rule over people, but he will be present to rule. His physical presence will be on the earth. The Bible teaches that he will rule out of the city of Jerusalem, and he'll reign over the inhabitants of this planet. Sometimes this kingdom is referred not, not as the messianic kingdom, though that would certainly be accurate. It's more times referred to as the millennial kingdom because Revelation 20 verse 6 says that his rule on earth will take place for a thousand years. Now, we know from the Old Testament that that there would be a coming messianic reign, but it wasn't until Revelation 20 verse 6 that God revealed how long this will be. It'll be a thousand years, and so we call it the millennial kingdom. But I want you to know, and I already alluded to this, this teaching about his kingdom rule on earth is not something unique to the New Testament. The Old Testament spoke of it. The Old Testament spoke of it. Many prophecies speak of this coming kingdom. For example, one that we often speak of and reference only to his first coming is also a reference to his second coming. Isaiah chapter 9 Verse six, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now that's the first coming. But understand this, when the prophets gave the coming of Messiah, in, in their thinking, it was just one coming. They, they just spoke of his coming. We look back now and we understand that there were Two comings, one Messiah, two comings. He first had to come to make atonement for our sins. And then he's coming back to establish his, his kingdom. Because the very next statement in Isaiah 9, 6 says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. In other words, he's going to be the government. He'll be the government that will rule the world that we live in. That's not taking place today. His law then will be final and no one will openly challenge
1: it. No one will. So does that mean that God's eternal kingdom will only last a thousand years? (laughs) Of course not. The short answer is that the Bible teaches that at the end of the thousand years, God will destroy this world and make a new one. His rule will continue forever. But that's another topic. I wish we had time to continue, but our time is limited. Let's all plan to be back here next time for the continuation of Pastor Steve's message on the kingdom part of a series of lessons on the Lord's Prayer. You have been listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been teaching and ministering at Lakeside for over 25 years. If you would like to hear this program again or make it available to a friend, it is available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or sign up for our free podcasting service. There is also information on the site about this ministry and a place to subscribe to our complimentary newsletter. To order an audio CD or cassette, please call us at 727-441-1714. You can leave your name and a phone number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727
0: 441